You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. What revisions should be made to current regulations to ensure that our long-term care patients have access to pain medications when they need them the most? Joining us to discuss improving access to controlled substances in long-term care is Dr. Matthew Wayne, Medical Director, Geriatric Medicine, University Hospital Richmond Medical Center in Richmond Heights, Ohio, and Assistant Professor of Medicine at University Hospital's Case Medical Center in Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome, Dr. Wayne. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell us about the Controlled Substance Act and how long has it really been in effect? Well, what I can try to answer the question is from a perspective of a practitioner as well as a medical director and also as vice president of of AMDA. I've been practicing geriatric medicine for almost 15 years and uh, medical director, I believe, for almost 12. I spend about 60% of my week in direct patient care. So I, I really have appreciated this DEA issue on a provider level, a medical director level, as well as on the national level with AMDA. And obviously, I think, as has been discussed in the past, there, there are some concerns. Well, we've gotten right into this topic on a number of occasions before, but I wanted to devote this session exactly to the Controlled Substance Act and many of the things that the professional organizations have been doing on behalf of their professions and on behalf of the patients. So setting this up in the way you have is just what we want to do. But let's talk now about the Controlled Substance Act, and then we'll talk about what may be going on with it. Absolutely. AMDA has supported and actually passed policy statement to support the American Medical Association's position of recognizing the nurse as the agent of the prescriber in the long-term care setting and is working with the American Medical Association to work with the DEA to try to affect an appropriate resolution to this concern and problem. Tell the audience what happened with the DEA in terms of its interpretation of some rather long-standing issues with regards to prescriptions for narcotics in nursing homes. Essentially, as far back as I can recall it during my practice, it has been common practice, much like the hospital setting, where if a concern arose regarding a scheduled prescription, most commonly that's pain medication, and the physician wasn't directly at bedside with patient, the nurse would call the physician, express the concern, dialogue would ensue regarding what's happening, assessment, etc., and if necessary, then the prescription would provide a verbal order over the telephone for a pain medication. In the hospital setting, this continues to occur, and approximately two and a half to three years ago, this practice was stopped in the long-term care setting. So this is clearly a practice that had been commonplace in both settings, I will tell you that from my personal experience in my 15 years of practice, I had never personally seen a diversion issue regarding the use of my DEA number of a narcotic prescription or a scheduled prescription in the long-term care setting, but I do appreciate the DEA's concern over this issue, and that essentially affected the changes we've now seen. And that really was the issue behind it all. It was that uh, concern about someone not working for you using your DEA or your prescribing practices and writing narcotics and diverting them. So in the nursing home, it turns out that the nurse doesn't work for you. She or he is not your agent. And that set all of this reinterpretation in motion. Correct. And unfortunately, again, as I said, I I did not personally experience this, 
But what I have experienced over the last two and a half years is that I've now had to deal with this issue of access to appropriate pain medication for residents on a daily basis. While I appreciate the concern is there, effectively uh, what we have put into place, I feel, has made the situation worse for patient care. Well, the word on the street is that patients aren't getting their narcotics in a timely fashion, and there have been a number of congressional hearings just along these lines. That's correct. It has put in place several additional hurdles to ensure appropriate prescribing that have impeded patient care. Well, give us a couple of examples from your own practice. And again, understanding the DA's perspective, they're looking for specific information on any prescription for a scheduled substance, much as if a physician would write on their own prescription pad for a patient in their office. The problem, again, is that if the physician is off-site, oftentimes this dialogue is occurring over the phone and the order is given over the phone. What that now entails is that the physician must either be near or or get to a fax machine to appropriately fax this information, or they need to make an additional phone call directly to the pharmacist. You know, and while this may not seem like a huge issue, understand that during a physician's day, they may see upwards of 25 to 30 or even 35 patients. These patients could be scheduled at 15 to 20-minute intervals and taking up five to seven minutes of additional time per issue that arises can have a substantial and significant impact in the workflow of physicians' day. So it's really not an excuse, but it does impede in the flow of good patient care. Additionally, and I have experienced this personally as well, I have actually been on site in some long-term care facilities where I have actually written a prescription exactly the way the DEA has requested and had either personally or had someone fax that prescription to the pharmacy only to find that within 24 to 48 hours later, the pharmacy is requesting a duplication and unfortunately sometimes triplication of the prescription that I've already provided. I have oftentimes not been given adequate reasons or sometimes saying that they just weren't aware that this was faxed. And lately, even more concerning, I've had an experience where I had written the prescription, prescribed approximately, I think it was about 75 tablets of a pain medication and received within 24 hours a fax from the pharmacy requesting the exact same prescription, but for a quantity of 270. When I followed this up with a phone call, I was informed that it's very difficult to get in touch with the physicians and the pharmacy was more comfortable prescribing a larger amount. So again, the concern about diversion has had this trickle-down effect of placing hurdles in the way of good patient care and unfortunately causing some unintended consequences on the pharmacy level, which to me creates even more concerns than what we had initially. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss improving access to controlled substances in long-term care is Dr. Matthew Wayne, Medical Director, Geriatric Medicine, University Hospital Richmond Medical Center in Richmond Heights, Ohio, and Assistant Professor of Medicine at University Hospital's Case Medical Center in Cleveland, Ohio. Matt, let's go back to the new DEA published statement, October 2011, trying to clarify the issue around nurse as agent. What's really happened is that the DEA has taken the nurse out of this teamwork equation with us being more responsive and directly responsible to the pharmacist. What's the clarification all about? Again, I think the clarification speaks 
to the fact that the DEA believes that the relationship and the DEA relationship is directly between prescriber, the physician in this case, and the pharmacy, and that if the nurse is to be an agent of the physician, um, they're looking for very specific assurances that there is a formal relationship in place. All right. So what's AMDA trying to do to uh, work with Congress since it seems that the DEA says there has to be a, a legislative fix with regard to the Controlled Substances Act? Well, most recently in November of this year, AMDA has sent a letter that was co-signed by 39 national and state medical societies to the DEA, as well as the Senate Special Committee on Aging, expressing the concerns and looking for further action. AMDA, the um, canary in the coal mine, is that what we have here? We're trying to be. (laughs) Yeah, and what's going to happen next? Where do we go from here? Senator Cole, who heads the Senate Special Committee on Aging, actually for a period of time was holding up the appointment of the new head of the DEA, but has since been given assurances that the Department of Justice uh, will deliver draft legislation this month outlining changes to the Controlled Substance Act. So we're currently in a waiting mode, but expecting clarification soon. Well, there is. I mean, this is a lot of activity going on, holding up congressional appointments, getting the Department of Justice involved, as well as the DEA. We must have a lot of patients having a lot of problems right now getting their narcotics and other drugs for pain management. It really has caused a significant patient care concern. And I think, you know, just as any situation or or issue, I think we need to appreciate that there really are no villains in this equation or this situation. The DEA really sees a concern. They've expressed that concern. While the current solution has caused a lot of problems, the DEA did not intentionally do this to impair patient care. On the flip side, I think we need to understand that the pharmacies have concerns and issues that they need to address, the providers as well as the nursing homes as well. We need to get everybody to the table. We need to understand each other, and we need to make sure that the patient is in the center of this discussion so that good care is not sacrificed. Spoken like someone that's eventually going to be AMDA's president in your role as vice president right now. That's a a nice response, a very measured response. Listen, we have listeners from all over the country, and some of them are probably saying right now, geez, I have not had this problem. And others are probably saying, you haven't even scratched the surface of the misery that this is causing. Tell us about the various interpretations of both class two and class three that can happen state to state, local, regional, and geographic variations as well. Absolutely. There is a tremendous variation. And I can recall when this problem first arose several years ago, Ohio was ground zero. There were many states that hadn't even become aware of this issue. And when we brought this to the AMDA level, there were other states who said they had been experiencing similar issues for a previous year or two. So there really has been some variation, although my sense is is that since 2008, we have definitely moved to a place where this has affected everybody. And as you've said, in some in minimal ways and some, unfortunately, in very impactful ways. I've heard that uh, some physicians have actually purchased quite a number of fax machines now for their home and the rest of it. Is there a possibility that nursing homes might be allowed a controlled substance license? I think that is one proposal that's on the table. Again, I think the only way that we're going to effectively solve this situation is to have all stakeholders at the table discussing this and making sure, again, that that patient is kept in the middle of the discussion. There have been some proposals that most recently have heard of a proposal where the DA is looking for a stronger relationship between physician 
and nurse as agent. But on the flip side, I would contend that I would be very careful with a solution such as this, because if the physician is required to have a separate written agreement with each nurse that could become their agent, this may not be a practical solution for the physician who goes to three or four nursing homes, has 500 to 1,000 residents, and may deal with upwards of 20 to 50 different nurses on a variety of different shifts. As you can plainly see, having a written agreement with a nurse may not solve the problem for that particular resident being treated by that particular nurse at that particular time of the day. So again, I appreciate the thought and I appreciate the energy, but we all need to sit down, we all need to understand each other, and we all need to keep the patient in the center of this. Good points because, I mean, the physician's an independent practitioner in the facilities, and the nurse as agent that we're talking about really is employed by the facility. So that gets into a lot of different legal ramifications. Now tell me, how far are we going to go before this thing is resolved? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? I tend to be an optimistic person by nature. I hope we're definitely seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. As I said, we are expecting to receive information from the Department of Justice this month on modification to the Controlled Substance Act. So as we go forward, what advice are you giving your local constituents in Ohio, and what advice is AMDA giving Uh, to its membership, and and the physicians in general that even aren't AMDA members with regards to controlled substances in 2011? I think a couple messages. And first and foremost, message number one is, is that until we have a fix, as medical directors and as providers, we need to put patient care number one. We need to come up with systems and policies and procedures today that are going to get this needed medication to patients, residents, as quickly as possible. As a provider, as a medical director, I have my pharmacies on speed dial. Anytime there's an issue that arises, I literally can pull my cell phone out and speed dial the pharmacy to get this. Is this the most effective solution? And, you know, as I said, that takes five, ten minutes of time off, and it's not a great answer, but it is a temporary fix to ensure good patient care. Uh, Long-term care facilities need to work with their pharmacies to develop these temporary fixes, again, to ensure good care. But second, I think we need to continue to tell our stories, explain that this is not working, tell of the situations that aren't working, and perhaps describe why it hasn't worked so that people can hear these stories and understand this is a very real and and critically important issue. And lastly, I think we need to continue to work and and be at the table in discussing these effective solutions to this very difficult problem. Well, I'd like to thank my guest from University Hospital Richmond Medical Center, Dr. Matthew Wayne. Matt, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. It's a pleasure to have uh, been here. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.